Good morning. Uh, good morning. It's great to be here. Happy Mother's Day to all the awesome mothers. My mother is here, uh, so we're excited about that. My wife, who's mother of too many, of 12, is here. Uh, so I've got two great mothers here with me. Uh, super excited to preach. I got to preach during Easter, and uh, at both services, I forgot to pray after the sermon, and Kim yelled at me. Uh, she asked me if I was mad at Jesus. I said, no, no, I just... No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so I will remember to pray today at the end of service. If I don't, just yell at me. Okay, so turn in your Bibles, if you have your Bibles with you, to 1 John chapter 4. Uh, and I'm going to start off uh, doing this. I'm going to start describing some groups of people. And if you have your pen and paper, I want you to write down uh, this. If not, just think it in your mind. So when I, when I describe these groups of people, tell me the first or second word that comes to your mind. And be honest right? I mean, you're not going to tell me, but you're going to keep it to yourself, right? I'm not going to call on you. All right. First, if I take all of the people in America, we call them Americans, what word comes to your mind to describe this group of people? Second, now we got, we've got six groups here. Second, if I take all the people in America who call themselves Christians, what word comes to your mind? American Christians, what word comes to your mind? Third, I take all the Christian religious leaders in America, Right? And you think about all the religious leaders in, in America, all the Christian religions, what word comes to your mind? All right, now we're going to narrow it down. All the people in Aspen Grove Church, all of us, what word comes to your mind when you think of Aspen Grove? And fifth, what one word would you use to describe yourself? So think about all those words. Finally, what word comes to your mind when you think of God? When you think of God, what word comes to mind? So I've asked my children and I asked people in our Bible discussion groups and I've been asking Christians around about this question. And these are the words that people use to describe America or Americans. Ready? Arrogant, self-righteous, overweight, hardworking, mean. All right, that's what we got. The words to use to describe Christians and Christian leaders in America. Here's what I got. Self-righteous, fake, arrogant, Selfish, confused. That, not so good, right? The words used to describe ourselves, right? What word do you describe yourself? Friends, family, caring, legalistic, self-righteous, anxious, worried, guilty, insecure. Finally, the words to describe God, here's what I got. Awesome, all-powerful, omnipresent, incredible, and finally, love. Now, what amazed me, what was amazing to me is that I asked numerous people these questions and no one, not a single person, used the word love or loving to describe Christians in America or Christians leaders in America. No one. No one said, I think of love when I think of those groups. But what's also amazing is none of the Christians that I spoke to used the word love to describe themselves or the church they went to. The word never came up. Like they never said, yeah, love. When I think of my church or I think of myself, I think of love. So for the majority of my life, I've studied out Christianity and I've been dedicated follower of Jesus. And I, like you, have heard countless sermons and classes and I've read all kinds of books about how to be a better Christian. With all of the great learning and doctrine and theology I, that I was amassing, uh, I don't think at some point I thought, I'm not becoming more like Jesus every day. In fact, 
I looked at myself and I said, I don't really think I would use the word love to describe myself. So I decided to study out the Apostle John, or John the Apostle, because he's widely recognized as the Apostle of love. And he's loved by Jesus, and he's, his letters are all devoted to love. So as you know, we just finished a series on John, and the Apostle John was one of the original disciples who followed Jesus during Jesus' life. He was with Jesus all the years of his ministry. He witnessed Jesus' death and his resurrection and ascension. John went on to live uh, about 50 or 60 more years while he was alive, all of his apostles, his friends, his fellow, fellow warriors in the gospel were all uh, horribly murdered for what they believed, and he was the only one left. And at the end of his life, somewhere around 90 AD, he was left alone to serve a sentence of banishment and isolation on the Isle of Patmos. That was, he was, being, uh, he was imprisoned there on this island. And during that time, he wrote the letters of 1st, 2nd, and third John. And these three letters that he wrote are only a couple pages long. And they were letters that he wrote to be circulated to the Christian churches. The purpose of these letters was to be sent out, read, and circulated among the Christians. So first thing I want you to do is think about what he could have written. Like what he could have written. First of all, he had plenty of time because he had nothing else to do. Second, he walked with Jesus. He was an apostle. He was one of the men that God chose to introduce the awesome and infinite kingdom of God to human beings. In John 21, he actually says, if everything Jesus said and did had been written down, there wouldn't be enough books in the whole world. So John, the apostle John, could have written volumes and volumes and volumes, but instead he wrote just a few pages, just a couple pages. That's all he wrote, a man after my own heart, all right? So, you know, you compare that with the American Christian movement. Right? We have millions of books, millions of sermons, seminars, classes, songs. This is literally a billion-dollar industry. We collect money to build more buildings so we can go and hear more sermons. Right? We have so many words, words upon words upon words. And the Apostle John, at the end of his life, wrote a few pages. It's humbling, I think, sometimes to think how arrogant we can be. We have so much to say, and the man who really did have so much to say said so little. And he made it very clear. So I asked myself, what, what did John say? What was the focal point of the final mission of Christianity? If anybody knows the scoop, it's this guy. What did he say? And he wrote the letters to teach us, to push us, to implore us to love. He directed us to love God, and he directed us to love others. So in these letters, well, he also warns about some false teaching there to make sure that we don't get distracted and not love people. So today I want to talk about love, which is great on Mother's Day. Because most of us had mothers that loved us and did, you know, just incredibly, you know, showed us incredible love. So the Apostle John wraps up all of Christianity, all of his experience, all of his relationship with Jesus, really into one word, love. When I ask Christians to describe themselves and the leaders of their church or them, you know, or, or, or the people that they knew as disciples, not one of them mentioned the word love. Not one person I talked to out of 20, 30 people. So I hope you see the problem here, right? John wants us to be people known for love. And when we ask Christians, it's not a word. Now, maybe you guys had that word in your mind, but probably not. Most likely you didn't, if statistics tell the truth. Okay, so today I got two very simple points. Two simple points. Why do we love? And how do we love? Why and how? Very simple. Look at 1 John chapter 4. And we're going to read it together. Well, not out loud. I'm going to read. You're going to listen. Watch 
you get the point. All right. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Verse 7 says that love comes from God. And when we love God, we know God. All my life, I wanted to understand the world and the universe. And I wanted to understand theories. And I, I wanted to really get it. And I've been searching all my life for truth and understanding and facts. And the apostle John brings it very clearly. And he basically says, uh, you will know God when you love. And then verse 8 says the opposite thing, reinforcing that point, right? Verse 8 says, if you don't love, you will never understand God. So when we love others and we love God, our minds are open and we begin to understand God. When we practice biblical love, we become humbles, humble, our hearts are open, right? Our minds are ready to be taught. Uh, and without love, our minds stay shut and we stay ignorant. So why do we love? The question. We practice love so that we will know God. God allows us to know him. The creator of the world allows you to walk into his space, allows you to understand everything. He, I mean, a lot of what he understands, if you will just love people, we practice love so we will know God. That's amazing. Verse nine says that God showed us love by sending Jesus. Have you ever step, take a step back as a Christian and thought, why did God go with this plan? Like, why did he use, why, why the Jesus sacrifice plan? Why did God do that, right? Uh, I've studied out Jesus for 20 years with that question. Why this plan? Why not any other plan? And the evidence to me is well established. Man named Jesus lived on earth. He was murdered by Pontius Pilate. Afterwards, he was laid in a tomb. No one could find his body. Facts are very clear. People make fun of us all the time or used to make fun of me uh, for having blind faith. But the evidence is very clear. You need just as much faith, if not more, to not believe in Jesus than you do to believe in Jesus. We got four written records of Jesus' life, and they hold more manuscript authority than any ancient text in the world that's very well established in research. Uh, the teachings of Jesus teach us how to navigate a life on earth, how to be a follower of Jesus. We know Jesus died a horrible death. He resurrected to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And he did this so that we could approach the Almighty, so that we could see the all-powerful, that you and I could come before and kneel down before the all-perfect King of the universe. God came to say, I chose you, or I choose you to know God and be with God forever. So the question, why do we love? Verse 9 says we love because of Jesus. God sent Jesus, that's why we love. It's, it's actually an incredible plan when you think through the logistics of what God did to have a relationship with us. In fact, I have to say, I couldn't come up with a better plan, right? Like, well, of course, he's God, right? And it's me. But it's amazing what God has done. So now here, as most of you know, we're going to look at picture one. Jody and I have adopted 10 children over the last 10 years. 
We've adopted James. There's a picture of James when he was 13 years old. That's the first day we met James. He was from China. James didn't speak a word of English when we met him. Uh, and, and that's the first second that, that he walked in and we ever met him. Lakshmi was eight years old, and that's the first day that we met Lakshmi. And she was adopted from South India, and she didn't speak English either. That's the first day we met her. Last year, we adopted Raji, Angela, Edward, Andrew, Robert, and Zoe from the Philippines. <laughs> uh, that you can see them there. And that's us in the van going to the, to, the, uh, the, the, to the waterfalls to go swimming. You know, when we adopted our sons and daughters, they didn't know us at all. The day they met us was the day they were with us for the rest of their lives. They had no choice, really. They had to leave everything they knew, their orphanage, their city, their friends, their teachers, their language, their culture, their food. Imagine how difficult that would be for young children, right? It just It's unbelievable. And they came to live in a house and with people that they didn't know. They had to eat foods that they didn't like. They had to do the right thing all the time because some guy named Jesus said so, right? They didn't know why. I remember the first year I was teaching James about Jesus and the, and the communion and the blood, and I was trying to explain it. Uh, and so one Sunday we went to church and we pull into the parking lot and the blood donation bus was in the parking lot. And James was like, what happened? Like, what, 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 why do we need so much blood, right? Uh, you think about it, it's scary, it's confusing, it's, it's not straightforward. You're like, blood, I don't understand why, blood, we're drinking blood, like what's going on here, right? Uh, so the question is, you know, what do we do as parents? We just love them, we chose them, we made decisions every day to think about them, to spend time with them, even though we couldn't communicate with them perfectly. We freely chose them, not because of what they did or didn't do, not because they loved us in return, not because we expected to get it back at any point in our lives. We just chose to love them. We chose them and we never gave up. We chose them to be ours forever and now they love themselves, they love others, they love God, learning to love God because we first love them. Verse 10 says, this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us. So to answer the question, why do we love? Because God freely chose us. Because God first loved us. That's why we love. What's even more amazing, and I don't want to dive into too much, but verse 12 is unbelievable to me. It's absolutely unbelievable. Verse 12 says that when we love one another, then God lives inside of us, and God's love is made complete in us. This is crazy. We complete God's love. We complete God's plan. It's so encouraging. Think about this. <clears throat> the creation draws us to God. Romans 1 tells us that. The law instructs us about God's holiness and about our sinfulness. We read that in the Old Testament. Jesus comes to show us who God is and about his love. And then Jesus dies and he opens up a way, a pathway for us to approach God with his resurrection and forgiving us of our sins. Then finally, our love for God and our love for others is what completes this whole relationship, this whole plan, that love. When we love, we complete God's plan. Uh, God's love, God's plan for humanity is made complete when we love. This is the theology that far, far separates Christianity from any other religion in the world. This is crazy. God relies on you loving other people to complete his plan. Isn't that awesome? 
I mean, we get to step into that awesome plan of God. We are a part of it. He relies on us. It's incredible. So why do we love? First point, verse seven, when we love, we know God. Verse eight, when we don't love, we don't know God. Verse nine, we love because God sent Jesus. Verse 10, we love because God chose us and first loved us. And verse 12, when we love, God lives inside of us and his love and his plan for humanity is made complete in us. Wow, that is awesome. Praise the Lord. Second point, why, how do we love? So how do we do it? Let's look, 1 John, read along with me. Again, I read, you listen. Uh, 1 John 4, 13. <clears throat> this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we have, will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Verse 13 says that we know that God lives in us and that we live in him because he has given us the Holy Spirit. So the first question is how do we love, right? We answered why, now how. How do we love is we must love in and through the Holy Spirit. In John 3, verse 8, the book of John, his gospel, he says this. I love this. He says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it's coming from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. This is a description of Christians when they have the Spirit living inside of them. You can't hear them coming. It's like my children. <laughs> They're all over. Uh, have you ever compared your Christianity to someone else's Christianity? If you're a mature Christian, you've done this, unfortunately, right? When you think about <clears throat> all the things we have to do as Christians, you have this checklist in your mind, right? And then when you get the checklist done, the Christian checklist, mature Christians understand you, you check them all off and you feel good about yourself, right? And then you kind of look around in this non-righteous look and you feel exasperated or frustrated or self-righteous because people aren't doing that checklist that you're doing. Or more, more, more than uh, what happens more, on the other hand, is we don't do the checklist that's in our mind, right? And we feel guilty and anxious, and then we look around at other people who seem to successfully be doing the Christian checklist and we feel insecure and embarrassed and sad and angry and we give up and then we feel sorry for ourselves and it's a whole nasty cycle that we go through because of this Christian checklist in our mind. So I just first thing I want to say, that comparison that we do, that's not from God. That's not righteous, nor is it healthy, uh, but we all do it. You're all looking at, I know you do it, don't just look at me. <laughs> So that, that's not spirit-led. John teaches us that we should love through the Spirit, in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not measurable. Uh, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're like the wind. You know it's there. You're just not sure where it's coming from or where, where it's going. You can't measure how much or how little somebody is using the Spirit. You can't checklist the Holy Spirit. You can't systemize the Holy Spirit. You can't teach 10 easy steps to Holy Spirit love right? It doesn't work. It's not possible to compare how much Holy Spirit love you have compared to how much Holy Spirit love 
I have, right? It's just, it's not possible. So how do we love? We got to love in the spirit. We must love through the spirit. That means, where's the practical? Okay, Gary, I hear what you're saying. Where's the practical? I'll give it to you. Lay down the checklists, lay down the to-do lists, lay down the comparisons, lay down the judgment of others, lay down the judgment of yourself, right? And learn to love in Holy Spirit. Learn to love as God loved us. In verse 16, it says that we know God's love and that we rely. I love those two words, know and rely, know and rely, right? So if we love others, they will know that we love them and they will rely on our love, right? That's how it all, take a moment for a second, right? When someone really loves you, right? Uh, think about that. Someone who loves you. Hopefully somebody loves you, right? I'm sure someone does. Okay. <laughs> what things uh, do those people do to make you feel loved? I asked my, uh, one of our Bible discipleship groups, and I said, how do you individually feel loved? Tell me what makes you feel loved, right? People said, when someone listens to me. Okay, that's great. When someone buys me presents. That's my, my children, right? Uh, <laughs> When someone spends time with me, when someone helps me when I'm in a jam and I know I can rely on them, when someone sacrifices for me in some way, and then for all the engineers, when someone leaves me alone, I know they love me. <laughs> right? There are so many different ways that people feel loved. And in the end, if we love that person the way that they need to be loved, that person will know and rely on our love. Again, know and rely. But What's the point? For me, I feel loved when people talk to me right, and they just get to the point. That's when I feel loved, right? I don't need the back story or the side story or the front story. Just boil everything you want to say to three points, right? Bam, 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 we're done. I love you. I actually want to kiss those people, right? Thank you, Lord, for making that clear and quick, right? Also, I'm a little bit different. I don't really like, in fact, I hate presents. I don't like getting presents. Uh, I, I hate giving gifts. I hate getting gifts. If you give me something, then I feel like I got to buy you a gift and I don't want to, right? Uh, if I want something, I just go buy it. That's it. It's very simple to me. The whole gift thing is just, just a giant waste of everyone's time, right? And, and I really don't want to get involved in that cycle with you or anybody. So just no need to buy me anything. So that's how I feel love. When you see my birthday and you say, happy birthday, you don't give me anything. I'm like, yes, awesome. I love you. What's my point? What's my point? Like, I don't know. I have no idea what your point is. Um, people need to know that we love them. Know and rely. That's what we do with God's love. We know and rely. But do you think that love will be the same for every person? Right? Do you think it's one size fits all? Of course not. Right? There are people who love giving and getting gifts. That's very important to them, very different than me. There are people who love to listen to you talk on and on and on about what's going on in your life. People really like that. I, I don't understand them, but they do. Um, and there are people that need to talk a lot. And, you know, that, that's great. Uh, there are people who give and feel love in very different ways or completely opposite ways than I feel love or than you. You think about this group, man. It's, it's all over the map. But what do we do as people in our arrogant stupid, non-Holy Spirit, sinful nature, we try to use this, apply the same strategy to every person. We group people together and we try to love them as a group. We try to create programs for people, right? We try loving people the way that we want to be loved. We love people the way we think they should be loved, right? We are not loving the people the way that they need to be loved. They can't know and rely on our love because we're just doing what we think. 
And even though we started with good intentions, we end up just trying to control people or we become codependent. And it really turns into a giant mess. Why do we do this? Why do churches all over America try to systemize love? I mean, they're famous for it. Start this program, start that program. Let's all shuffle in people here and there because it's easier. It's just easier. It's less scary. You don't actually have to get to know the people. You just kind of funnel them in and label them. It's predictable. It's management, uh, manageable. It's convenient. And it's all about what I think you need. It's arrogant at the end of the day. I'm better than you. I know Jesus better than you. Let me tell you what you need to be loved. And we see that day in and day out in Christianity. And it's what destroys our reputation as Christians. Remember, you think about what Jesus said. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And all day long, Christian America sacrificing with no mercy. It's sad, actually. All right. Year ago, uh, picture four, please. Jody and I and some friends started a nonprofit organization called Priority One Worldwide. It's still going. Um, and we have a school with 120 students in the mountains of Haiti. And we get to go there and visit our school. It's in a re very remote visit, uh, village. Uh, and we, we have been overseeing this project for years now. Uh, and, you know, it's been awesome. But we've been really tempted since 2012 to just jump in and run the school. Just do it our way, right? I know we could have done a better job than the way it's being run. And I'm sure we could have had faster results, right? Uh, but if we stepped in and we took over, the leaders of that community would have been dishonored and discouraged, right? Uh, we would have been loving them the way we thought that they needed to be loved. We would have been controlling them. So we work really hard to empower the leaders to do it on their, on their own. We support them. We ask them how we can help. We give them suggestions. We do manage the finances very carefully and very responsibly. Uh, but we really let them, the, the, the men and women of the community, run this school, Christian school. And because of that, the leadership over the years has taken real ownership. It has taken three to four to five times as long if we just did it ourselves. I guarantee you we could have had this done much quicker. But, and that was a temptation we had every day. Just get down there. Just send someone down there. Just do it, right? But the school is doing awesome. And I think by loving them, by listening to them, thinking about them, allowing them to run their own school and not shoving our agendas down their throat, man, this school has flourished. These kids are doing great. Uh, and it's really just an awesome blessing from God. So how do we love? We have to love people individually. We have to love them individually. We need to be humble in our love, right? If you're close to somebody, you can actually ask them, hey, how can I show you love? How, or if you don't know someone that well, I mean, you can still ask that question. It gets a little weird. Um, but, or you could just say, what do you need? How can I help? And I think this church has done an amazing job at that. I was telling Jody the other day, I, we've been here for two years, about two years, a little less, year and a half, well, about two years, whatever. And uh, we've talked to everybody. And I've never been a church. In two years, I have never heard a single piece of gossip I've never heard someone even as much as mention something negative about another member or another human or even a political figure. I've never heard any of you speak negative about anything, and I am amazed because I've been in many churches where that is not the case. And that's something, and that's a real picture of mature Christian love. And I think this church does a really good job, and I think that's why people come and never, never leave. They're like, all right, I'm done. I turned myself in, just like my family and I. Um, 
People must know that we love them. They must know uh, and rely, uh, uh, love them, you know, know and rely. The way we know and rely on God's love, they know and rely on our love. Uh, we need to listen to people the same way that God listens to us. We need to learn how to stop judging people, right? We need to slow down, reduce our agendas, let the Holy Spirit work in those relationships. And again, I think you guys are doing a great job, but that's how people really see the love of God. That's how they see Jesus when we do that. And that's when we complete God's plan. We need to be in present. I mean, it's tough for me. I'm preaching to myself. We need to be present. We need to engage with people. We're often so busy, so many scheduled activities, right? That's what happens in Christian world. So much scheduled activities, you don't actually have time to love somebody. Like, I gotta run here, gotta run here. Shut up, you know, uh, <laughs> that's how we do. But instead of really sitting down and asking people, how are you? How's it going? What's going on? What can I pray for you? You know, and, and not having somewhere to run to. If you're truly loving others, the body, the church, uh, the body of believers will be the light of the world. That is God's plan. Jesus, uh, you know, the church is supposed to be an exact representation of Jesus. When people see us, when people see Jesus, they understand God. When people see the church, they should understand Jesus and understand God. That's the plan, right? We're the plan, <laughs> scary as that may be. Um, several years ago, I took my family to India. Here's the story, right? And we are, uh, we went to visit some orphanages and we drove seven hours away from any major city. And we're in the city of Dom, village of Damo. Uh, and we're really, there's not much to do. The kids couldn't eat. It was rough. So uh, I, what I decided to do was hire a snake charmer. So I hired him for $5. Uh, snake charmers are very cheap in the villages, uh, if you're wondering. Okay, so the old man came to our compound and he brought three baskets and he brought a younger man with him or a younger boy as an assistant and the old man put the snake baskets on the ground, and we're all standing around about 10 feet circle around these snakes. Uh, and, you know, it, it became apparent that the, the young man with him, his job was to catch the snakes if any of them decided to leave the basket. Uh, bad job, but nevertheless his job, right? So the young man uh, removed two lids, and there were cobras in there, and he tapped the heads of the snake. Uh, and then he started playing the flute going back and forth, which you can see here. Cobras, they are just now coming up. They're waking up uh, and they, have, they spread their scary hoods and they start going back and forth uh, to, to the flute there, right? And the cobras, they're going back and forth for a while uh, and they're like, yeah, we get it with the show. We've done this. I think they've been around. They're old cobras. They're like, yeah, we understand. Back and forth, back in the basket, right? But the third basket was where the problems began because that had a very large python. And that python, uh, I think, was just clearly caught from the bush. He was not part of the show yet. He did not get the agenda. Uh, he was not happy about it. I think he, he just didn't sign up. You know, no, no, it wasn't his thing, right? Uh, he was not excited about his new job. Cobra's over here, python, mad, 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 right? The old man tried to get the python to stand up and dance. Uh, but the snake wasn't having it. You could see him there, right? That's the, and the, the man is holding, the boy is holding the snake. Uh, again, problems. Two guys doing the job. One, nope, I'm not working, right? So suddenly, snake jumps out of the basket, gets away from the boy, and starts coming at us. That python, which is about seven, eight feet long, uh, we're, I'm taking the picture. Uh, kids are standing below me. That snake's coming straight at us because uh, ding-dong there in the hat, let go of him by mistake, right? <laughs> The young boy, okay, so the snake gets loose. It's the young man's time to shine. This is his job, right? He jumps for the snake, swipes for the snake, and he completely misses the snake. Doesn't get it. Kind of trips out of the way, right? Doesn't get the snake. 
So now the snake is still aggressively coming at us, mad, hissing. Uh, you know, I've got all my little children here. This is not America. There's no fence, right? No, we didn't sign a, long, a lien waiver, right? There, there is, they, we're about to be attacked by nasty python, right? So the old man sees what's going on, right? He's right there. He's down, right? And he sees that the snake's coming and he you know, realizes we're paying him. So he drops the flute and he jumps over, over top of the cobras there. You can imagine it. I mean, really, the guy had a lot of dexterity for an old guy. And over, grabs the snake by the tail, gets him, right? Right before he gets at my children. Snake was mad. Snake curled up lifted his head, struck, and hit the snake guy in the leg, right? And it was, I never forget this, it was like, like loud, like someone punched somebody. And when that snake came out, mouth wide open, hit him there, blood exploded everywhere, right? <laughs> everywhere. Uh, so it was like lightning. You know, meanwhile, my kids were like, this is the best snake show ever. <laughs> The guy had two giant holes in his leg and blood was gushing down his leg. He had to take his shirt off and tie it around the leg. I mean, he put the cobra back in the basket, right? And he, made the, he was all mad at the kid. Then he had to tie his shirt. He was bleeding. He goes back to the cobras and the cobras are gone. I look down and the cobras are in between the legs of my children. The old man realized this also was a problem. He came... <laughs> and got the cobras finally. They were more docile. They were just like, oh, I'm going out for a walk. Uh, so, you know, Garrett, my son, makes fun of me all the time. He said, this is just uh, one of the incidents of, of the highlights of my awesome and safe parenting. Uh, so you know, they, all the time, like, Dad, you're the worst father. Like, you're so unsafe. Um, all right. What's my point? <laughs> like, what the heck is the point, right? Uh, no, here's the thing. As a church, it's our job to love people, right? To love God. And, and really, that's our job. We love. When we love, that's when God's work is done. But it only takes one of us to mess up the whole show, right? When one of us decides we're not going to love or one of us decides that we're going to systemize love or we're not going to be that person, right? What Like that young boy who didn't do his job, it only takes one of us to do that, right? Uh, and, and cause pain and problems for everyone else. And the world looks at the church and says, you're a bunch of hypocrites when we mess up. And so that's why it's so important, right? Verse 17 says, love is made complete in us, the church, the believers. When one of us doesn't know how to love, or we systemize love, or we do love to make ourselves feel better, or we try to control people or be codependent, we hurt all of the believers. We give the church a bad reputation. The goal is for us to love like Jesus, to love people deeply, right? To do that to be a light of the world so that people see us, they see Jesus and they understand, man, I want to be part of that. Today, I want to challenge you. Think through your closest relationships and ask yourselves, how can I love, how can I give them the love that they need? For those that you encounter casually, commit yourself to loving those people, even if it's for two minutes. Decide, I'm going to love this guy, I'm going to love this girl, even if it's for two minutes. Listen to the people around you. Clear your schedule. Be present when people talk to you. Show them the love of Christ. Say yes when the Holy Spirit brings you an opportunity. If we love the way that God has loved us, when someone is asked, what word do you think of? When you think of Aspen Grove Church, the word should be love. That's it. 1 John 4, 19. We love 
because he first loved us. Amen and happy Mother's Day. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we are so grateful for Jesus and we're so grateful for your plan and we're so grateful to be a part of it and it's so difficult for us. And I pray that today, God, you will teach us how to love, that you will really remind us how to love, that we will be the church. When people think of our church, they think of us, they say, man, love, love is the only word. And I know, God, the only way we can do that is through your power and because of your plan and because of your love you had for us. As we take this communion, God, I, I pray that we'll remember your love and let it drive us this week. Everything that we do, every second of every day, we're trying to love so that people will know and rely on your love. Father, we love you. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.